queens, welcome to Dose of Deception with the queens of queens, Shannon and Emily. Join our true crime family where we discuss murders, missing persons cases, mysteries, and a whole lot of conspiracy theories. So stay tuned for the wild ride. Hey queens, welcome back to Dose of Deception. Before we get into the episode this week, like always, if you're a new listener, we just want to let you know what we do here. For the first half, Emily will come in with a true crime case, whether it be a murder mystery or missing persons case. And then in the second half, I come in with a conspiracy theory that we discuss. Also, we just want to let you know where you can find us on social media. Our Instagram is at Dose of Deception, and we also have a Facebook group at Dose of Deception. So, Emily, what are we going to talk about this week? So today we're going to be discussing a car crash that occurred on July 26, 2009, mm. when a woman named Diane Schuler crashed, killing eight people, including herself, mm. and injuring three others on Taconic State Parkway in Mount Pleasant, New York. Oh, New York. New York, yeah. Okay. She was born in Floral Park, actually. Oh! Yes. <laughs> I mean, if she's a bad person, I'm like, <laughs> but that's cool that it's close. When I first heard about this crash, I assumed it was a horrific accident, and I honestly was not super intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew it was, like, a bad accident. It killed a lot of people. Yeah. But I, when researching further and going into her backstory and kind of going into the events of the day okay. and how suspicious things were, okay. uh, uncovering this case makes it even creepier and terrifying. Mm. Diane Schuler was born on November 13, 1972, in Floral Park, New York. She was the only girl out of the siblings that she had four other brothers. Mm. So she was known by um, people as the woman of the house, even when she was a young, young girl. Mm. Diane's mother left the family when she was very young, so she grew up fast, and she tended to hide the mental toll it took on her, according to those close to her. Mm-hmm. Her husband, I watched interviews with him, and even he said Diane would never talk about her mom. He knew that it took a toll on her, but she just would not open up about it. Yeah. So she kind of maybe had a little more going on than she let on. Mm. She had two children, five-year-old Brian and two-year-old Erin, and her loved ones talk about how much she loved being a mother. She was very hands-on and involved in her children's lives, and she wanted to be the opposite of what her own mother was. Mm -hmm. Those at her children's school, like the teachers and the principal and stuff, they described Diane in wonderful ways. They say she was always the first to drop her kids off, and their clothes were nice, their hair was nice, she kept them well taken care of. And she also chaperoned all school trips, and she was very involved with their education. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how you know that somebody's really, a mom is really involved whenever they're always the person that's volunteering. (laughs) 36-year-old Diane Schuler was staying at the Hunter Lake Campground in Parksville, New York with her husband, Daniel. They had Brian and Aaron with them for this camping trip, along with Diane's nieces, who were the daughters of her brother, Warren, okay. who comes into play later on, so Got just it. remember him. Uh, his daughters were, I believe she was nine years old, Emma, seven-year-old Allison, and five-year-old Kate. So they were all very young children. The, the oldest was nine out of all of them. Oh, they really went from all boys to all girls. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, all boys? Because it was her and then all her brothers. Oh, yeah, And now yeah, the yeah. brothers have all girls. They had been camping for a while, and the day of the crash was actually the day they were leaving. Okay. So Daniel and Diane, according to Daniel's interviews, he says they woke up around 7 a.m., they drank, like, a few cups of coffee, they ate breakfast, and then they planned to get on the road as soon as possible so they would not get stuck in the afternoon traffic. Yeah. Daniel actually set out a bit earlier than Diane, and he took the family dog with him and headed straight home. Now, Diane stayed behind, and she said she was going to be home soon after, uh, but she was going to take her two kids and then three nieces with them. So she had five kids with her in the car at the time. Is the brother with her? or No, he was actually back at home. Oh, okay. At 9.30 a.m. on the fateful morning of July 26, 2009, Diane left in her brother's red 2003 Ford Winster, and nothing was out of the ordinary. So she was borrowing her brother's car at the time. Mm-hmm. Diane appeared to be completely sober, and she left like it was any other normal day. 
even the uh the co the co owner of the campground, mm-hmm. she does interviews and she like talks about it, and she vouches still to this day, or s- since the interviews were made, yeah. um that Diane was very very sober. Um, so it's not a biased statement that was made by her family trying to defend yeah. her or anything. This was just by the owner of the campground. Mm-hmm. She had set out to drive to her home in West Babylon, and along the way, she first made a stop at McDonald's when she was at a gas station. It is reported that Diane had gone to the gas station with the hopes of buying pain medication, but they did not carry any. And it's believed that she had a toothache and was looking for Tylenol, mainly mm-hmm. because um, leading up to it, her friends and her husband said she was holding her um, like her right side of her cheek, mm-hmm. saying that it hurt really, really bad. And also, she had when they looked in her calendar after all this happened, she had a bunch of different appointments, like at the dentist. Okay. But I believe that she was terrified at the dentist. So her uh, last appointment... Sounds like me. Yeah, it does sound like you. <laughs> no, her last appointment, I believe she left the dentist. She didn't even get the procedure done. Wild. Okay. So I'm assuming that that was what the Tylenol was yeah, for. Yeah, that makes sense. After departing from the Liberty gas station at around 11 a.m., Diane continued driving and eventually crossed the Tappan Zee Bridge. Oh, we're close. We're very, we're very close. <laughs> During this trip, calls were made from multiple other drivers who reported that someone, later confirmed to be Diane, was driving recklessly, cutting cars off, driving way too close behind others. She kept honking the horn really loud, but not at anything, like, just for no reason. Mm. And she was also riding on the lines on the highway, so, like, Mm. straddling two different lanes, pretty much. Now, at 11.37 a.m., which was two hours after she left, Diane called her brother Warren and said that she would be home late because of heavy traffic. However, only less than 10 minutes later, another driver reports seeing Diane pulled over on the side of the road with her head down and her hands on her knees. Now, authorities believe that she was throwing up at this point because Mm. later on, they received a second call saying that Diane was in the same position at another rest stop. Mm. It's crazy to me that she was driving for two hours this recklessly so far and nothing happened. She didn't get pulled over. Yeah. Especially that, I said already, multiple drivers already made and the two more calls were made about her um, throwing up on the side of the road. Yeah. I'm surprised that nobody went to stop her That is odd that nobody, no police has showed up at any point in this. Definitely. Now, Warren did not say that Diane sounded particularly off or messed up on their initial phone call, mm-hmm. but, and also the fact that she had three of his children, his three children in the car, I'm sure that if anything was off, he would have went right to authorities. Yeah. He does eventually go to authorities, but initially, I don't, I don't know if she sounded drunk. Yeah, and I also think that if, since she knows that she has his kids, if something is really, really off and she doesn't want him to know, like, she mm-hmm. would have been able to disguise it. Now, at 1 p.m., which is now three and a half hours after Diane left with the kids, mm-hmm. Diane accidentally calls Jackie, who is Warren's wife. Okay. And Jackie says she sounds very disheveled. I don't know if it was an accident, but it might have been one of the kids called her. Yeah. Or possibly she was just messed up. She didn't know what she was mm-hmm. doing. One of Warren's children said that, quote, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. And that's the name of the documentary, too. Mm-hmm. So if you do, there is a documentary about her, which is a bit hard to watch because... They do, I mean, if you're uncomfortable with the deaths of, like, especially children and stuff, it's hard to watch. And there is photos of Diane's body after all this happens. Um, But that is the name of the documentary. I can link it. um, It's on YouTube for free, and I can link it in the description box. Okay. They were too young to figure out exactly what was wrong, but they could sense that something was off. Diane's own son, Brian, to this day, stands by his claim that his mom's head hurt and she could not see straight. So obviously he didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. But he just said she kept saying her head hurt and she just couldn't see anything. She didn't know what was happening. Yeah. Now, Diane sort of shuts down this call, claiming that she's fine. However, Warren told her to pull off the road and wait for him to come help her. Just don't move. Now, between 1 p.m. and 1.15 p.m., three wrong numbers were dialed from Diane's phones. And nobody knows if it was... Nobody recognizes these numbers, so possibly she might have been trying to dial something and couldn't see straight. Yeah. Or one of the kids had the phone. Mm-hmm. 
Warren rushes from Long Island to where she is, and he tries again to call Diane at 1.15 p.m., only 15 minutes after the initial alarming phone call that caused him to hop in his car in the first place. Yeah. However, his calls went unanswered. Later on, a motorist found a cell phone on the ground by the Tappan Zee Bridge toll boots. Mm. And it was confirmed to be Diane's, meaning that she was most likely stopped and talking to Warren while she was stopped at the toll booth, and then she left her phone there before continuing to drive. That's odd. It's very odd. It was just on the floor. Yeah, that's makes sense. No, and to this day, nobody knows why. So after this, I believe it's one of Warren's friends who called 911, mm -hmm. and I'll play the 911 call for you right now. I'm trying to help a friend of mine. Uh, his sister took his, his girls camping. They're, they're very young girls. The oldest is nine. The girls, the girls just called in distress. They said that the, the aunt is driving very erratically. We think she's sick. The aunt isn't picking up the cell phone right now. The sister called. She can't talk anymore. There's three kids in the car. They're trying to, five, they're trying to locate her. The woman's name is Diane Shula. We just put it out to the postcard. Okay. And see if they could locate her because the, the the woman that's driving the car, they think is having a medical emergency because she, she called and then she couldn't talk anymore. And she's got five kids in the car. Uh, Whose name the car is registered to? It's your car. Yeah. Now at 1.30 p.m., which if you remember, Warren is talking to her between 1, 1 o'clock and 1.15 p.m. So this okay. is not that long after. Yeah. Now Diane pr approaches an exit ramp with two signs on it. One says do not enter and the other says one way. And she just completely ignores these signs and just goes the wrong way. Good. So she's driving the wrong way on the highway right yes. now. How, isn't that insane? Yes. That's honestly, this is so random, but I've always, that was one of my biggest fears as a kid. Like when yeah. I would see that sign and I'd be like, oh my God. And like, what if we're just speeding down the opposite direction? I know. So within 60 seconds of Diane driving, four more calls were placed to 911 yeah. saying that a car was driving 85 miles per hour on the wrong side of the Taconic State Parkway, which is insanely scary and I can't even imagine that. Yeah. So I'm going to play the calls for you now. They believe you got a northbound Taconic. There's a city fan in the right lane going southbound. 9 That's so odd, though. I know. That they want to be like, like you would, after she would hear the kids screaming, mm -hmm. you would think that she would realize, oh, this is the wrong way. Yeah. Diane managed to travel 1.7 miles on the wrong side of the parkway. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Before colliding full force with another vehicle at 1.35 p.m. Also, the fact that she had been driving for over four hours at this point, yeah. and all these calls were made, still baffles me. And still nothing. Yeah, that's crazy. Diane collided head-on at 85 miles per hour. With a 2004 Chevy Trailblazer, instantly killing on impact, 81-year-old Michael Bastardi, his son Guy, who's only 49, and 74-year-old Dan Longo, who were in the other car. That's yeah. crazy. Here's the 911 call that was made after people, like by witnesses, basically, they called 911 yeah. after they saw the accident. Mm -hmm. What road are we on? What mile walk are you at? What road are we on? What road is this? What road is this? Hold on, stop yelling. Listen, 
Diane, her two-year-old daughter Erin, and two of Warren's daughters were pronounced dead at the scene. And Warren's other daughter, along with Diane's five-year-old son, somehow initially survived the crash. But Warren's daughter unfortunately died from her wounds a short while later at the hospital. Five-year-old Brian had many broken bones and severe head trauma, but he managed to survive his injuries, and he remained hospitalized for three months before he was released back to Daniel. Wow. So today he's safe. However, he does have issues with, um, you know, from the head trauma. Yeah. He has issues, I believe it's moving his right eye. Okay. So he just has, like, there's not, like, I guess severe, severe issues where he can't walk or anything, Mm -hmm. but luckily he's okay. Yeah, that's crazy that he would have survived that. Well, you know why? It's kind of disturbing why. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, authorities determined that the none of the children were in seatbelts, so they were all just kind of like flying around the car the entire time. Uh-huh. And after um, the initial crash, crash, they were thrown so far, and they were just kind of like on top of each other. Yeah. And Brian actually actually got trapped underneath a body. Mm. So when people first witnessed it, he he kind of remained unnoticed. Like they were taking pulses of like the witnesses yeah. were taking pulses, seeing uh, who was alive, mm-hmm. and they were pronouncing everyone dead. Nobody even noticed him until authorities came and like removed the bodies. Wow. So I think him being kind of squished between them probably worked as like a barricade, kind of. Yeah, but it's really sick. Yeah, wear your seatbelts. Yeah, <laughs> wear <your> seatbelts. <laughs> Definitely. I, dang, yeah. that's sad. It is. By the driver's side, a bottle of absolute vodka was found, and it is believed that that's what Diane was drinking during the time of the crash. A toxic- why? What? <laughs> why? I don't understand why. Oh, I don't either. This is what gets to me. Is like, this crash makes no sense, because yeah. she she had never had any prior um, accidents like this. Yeah. You would think, I mean, I'll get into it a little bit later, but you would think that she would have maybe a DUI or like uh, something yeah. like a car accident prior to this, but yeah. nothing. A toxicology report showed that Diane's blood alcohol level was 0.19%, with 0.08 being the legal alcohol limit in New York City to drive. It also found high levels of marijuana in her system, indicating that she had most likely smoked just 15 minutes before the crash. Weird. It's very weird, this story. To this day, Daniel denies that Diane could have been drunk while driving, despite, you know, I mean, he was more so denying it initially before the toxicology reports. Yeah, of course. He did say that the bottle of vodka belonged to them, but that it was kept in their camper, and Diane must have moved it to the car after he had left that morning. So they never kept it in the car, but that makes sense. It is interesting to see how ferociously he defends his wife. He says she was not a heavy drinker, and that he's still in utter shock. And he is very intriguing, because it makes me wonder, as if, if Diane suffered some kind of psychotic break... Or possibly while she was driving, or if this was all just building up and he didn't notice it. But mm. I feel like you would notice if your wife was in this yeah. state. I don't know. Because he didn't leave that much earlier. So, I mean, something would have already been going on when he left yeah. if it was if she was that bad. But he is also a bit suspicious. Mm. Okay. Um. His his parents actually said that he was more so like Diane's oldest child than her husband, and that he didn't want children. Because in yeah. the whole documentary, he never mentions that he misses his daughter who passed away. It's only Diane. And I think maybe that's why is because he's... Even now, he says it's so hard being a single dad, obviously. Yeah. And he doesn't seem happy with it. So I think he just misses Diane because yeah. she took care of everything and now he has now to. Now he has to, yeah. So, I don't know. Also, I mean, this is so random. But maybe it was like bad weed, you know? Oh, true. It was maybe. like laced with something else. And it made her... Because it feels weird that she would just randomly have this break out of nowhere. Yeah, it does. But she did... I noticed that she smoked weed for insomnia. 
because okay. she had trouble sleeping. So like, if it was, but why her, would you be doing that? Exactly. Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes before the crash would have meant that she was doing it while she was in the car. Yeah, exactly. Drinking and smoking yeah. in the car when she, to my knowledge, she had never done that before. Yeah, and she has all those kids in the car. Exactly. Um, to this day, though, he does defend his late wife's innocence, and he actually even hired lawyers to defend her reputation, despite mm. her killing their child. Mm. Interestingly, the campground owner that I mentioned earlier stands by her claim that when she saw Diane at 9.30 getting into the car, she was completely sober. The gas station owner, who said that she was trying to buy Tylenol, also yeah. told authorities that he's 100% sure she was sober, she was speaking clearly. Huh. There is footage of her, um, it's not, like, exciting, there's no audio yeah. or anything, but she walks in and asks and stuff. She just looks normal, she doesn't yeah. look drunk or anything, even though if she was, like, in the early stages of being drunk, she could easily hit it. Yeah. But... I mean, there's no indication that she's drunk there. Yeah. And also, the McDonald's employees defend oh, yeah. Diane's sobriety as well, and they actually said she had a whole coherent conversation with the cashier while ordering her food. She was being friendly. Huh. She wasn't being, like, dark or, like, you know, yeah. there was no indication that she was messed up in any way. Yeah. And now, at this point, she, that's placing her only, like, an hour or two before yeah. the crash. Why okay. would she get in and just chug a whole bottle? They said that, that she had ten drinks in her. When she crashed. Wow. And there was still, I believe, six more that weren't even processed yet. Yeah, so at that point, that's literally, she chugged them out. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, that's so weird. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I said, it makes me wonder what triggered her to start drinking, because I was thinking maybe a phone call or something, but there was no indication of, you know, a conversation that might have triggered that. Yeah. It just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because all the phone calls were incoherent. Yeah. Or accidental. Yeah. Daniel told authorities that Diane um, did smoke weed for insomnia, but mm. she did not abuse other drugs or smoke in excess. Yeah. So the high amounts of weed shocked him as well that were found in the report. Initially, people believed that Diane might have had a medical issue while driving, which is honestly when I first heard of this, um, that's what my mind went to. However, autopsy reports show no signs of stroke or aneurysm or heart mm. attack. That's what I thought at first yeah. when you were saying like her tooth hurts, so now her head hurts, I'm yeah. like, maybe it's an aneurysm, something like that. Some people were also saying maybe she was drinking for the pain of the toothache, but... You wouldn't do that, that with much. Drive, yeah, you wouldn't do that with driving with kids in the car. I know it could be really painful, obviously. Yeah. But I feel like she would have just looked at other gas stations for Tylenol. Yes, and you also wouldn't... I mean, don't do this. Yeah. I would never do this. Yeah. But, like, if you're going to do that, you would take one shot. And I know. just hope it takes it away. You exactly. You would chug a bottle and then drink, smoke all that weed for... Yeah. Just for that. Yeah. And also, she, she probably would have just told Daniel it hurt. Like, he would have... He just took the dog. He probably could have just come back and got hurt, too. Exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? This was not a situation that she had to do. Yeah. With. And I mean, like, they were far away, but they weren't, like, far, far away. They're still in New York. Yeah. So, like, it, he could have easily came back and picked them up. Definitely. Now, Daniel's interpretation and promotion of Diane as a perfect being and perfect mother upset the families of those who died as a, a result of the collision because they oh, felt yeah, that he true. was belittling the incident. Yeah, I forgot about the other three in the other car. <laughs> yeah, those three died too. Yeah. And oh, it's so sad. I watched an interview with, I don't remember who it was. It might have been someone's sister or, okay. or wife mm -hmm. um, of the three who died in the car. And uh -huh. they were like on the phone earlier. They were coming over for like a barbecue. Like it was just a normal day. You know what I mean? Aww, yeah. Like it's so scary to think that could happen anytime. Yeah. They also pointed out, along with the public who backed them up, that Daniel defending Diane's innocence and denying that she was intoxicated, despite there being proof, is very suspicious. Many people feel that maybe Daniel had some inside information that he's not saying to protect himself, mm. such as Diane's state of mind the morning of the crash, or potentially if they were arguing, mm, or true. something was going on, and he knew that she was in this state of mind, Yeah, uh, he most likely would have gotten in trouble for being an accessory to yes. what happened. No? It's also very odd to me that he just went by himself with that the dog. That is odd to me, too. That makes it seem like there was a huge argument and he left early because he wanted to get home oh, early. Oh, that's smart. That's what that feels like to me. Why yeah. else would you leave 
and then just have all the kids and her mm-hmm. go at one time. Yeah, I kind of want to see more interviews with, like, Warren to see if this was a normal yeah. thing. Like, if they went on vacation a lot with them. Yeah. Uh, and then possibly, maybe that's how they left all the yeah. time, but I don't know. Because to me, it would seem like, even if he was leaving early, like, a couple of the kids would have wanted to tag along with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, at least one or two of the kids are like, oh, I want to go with Dad. Like, you know, so it's weird to me that all of them went with her. That is weird. And then he left early with just the dog. Yeah. The crash was the crash was officially ruled a homicide, but unfortunately, mm. nobody could be charged with the murders because Diane was the only one responsible. Yeah, that makes me think too. If Daniel potentially thought he could be an accessory to homicide, exactly, why would he would obviously keep that quiet? Mm-hmm. Although criminal charges could not be filed, the Bestardi family did file charges against Warren, Diane's brother, mm. seeking financial benefits from damages caused by his neglectfulness and recklessness. Yeah, but what did he really do? I, I guess, I mean, they can't really get it from Diane. I would get it from Daniel. Well, I don't know, though, because Daniel would... wasn't involved. She was on the phone with Warren the whole time. I guess that's true. So but maybe Warren they were didn't saying... really do anything wrong. No, he I didn't. Mean, sure, he didn't. He, he did call, call authorities. Exactly. No, yeah, he did. So there's not really much else that he could have done. And he tried to find her. Yeah, he tried to get there, but he was on Long Island. Exactly. So he. it's also odd that she called, like, he was the one doing all this and not Daniel. Yeah, that makes me think they were fighting. Yeah. Hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you can't... Warren didn't really... He couldn't really do anything about the situation. Yeah. I mean, he might have... The only thing that would have made him suspicious of if he knew about the events of the day, if something was off. Mm-hmm. But, like, he tried everything he could have to prevent the crash from happening, so... Yeah. Jackie, um, Warren's wife, actually mm-hmm. sued Daniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it claimed... Her, her lawsuit claimed that the three child, because they were the three of the children and the yeah. girls that died, suffered terror, fear of Im- impending death, extreme horror, fight, fright, and mental anguish before their death, and yeah. so they got financial gain from that. Mm. So basically, uh, I mean, the only good thing that came out of this, which I thought was already a law, but I don't know, it's the Child Passenger Protection Act. Mm-hmm. In August 2009, it was passed that would make it a felony to drive while intoxicated if a passenger under the age of 16 is in a vehicle. Isn't that just drunk driving? Exactly. <laughs> well, I, maybe if you make it another law, it could be a more severe maybe. consequence. I, I just thought that would be, like, I don't know, a common law already. Yeah, I mean, you definitely already can't yeah. drive drunk <laughs> when you're by yourself or not. Yeah. But it probably is just another charge that they can add on to you. So that's, like, literally the only thing that came in. But I know it also didn't really come because of this. It came from another death. But still, this... It's connected. Around the it's same connected, time connected yeah. It, yeah. So basically, I mean, I can get to the theories. But why would she get wasted once she, dri- once she started driving? Because if she was sober at all these other places... Yeah. she def- That means that she just chugged an entire bottle when she in got the in the car. car. It doesn't make any sense to me. Considering how much um, she didn't want to be, like, her own mom. She wanted to be there yeah. for her kids. Like, exactly. see them grow up. Exactly. Doesn't make sense to me. Because there is no prior behavioral indication yeah. that something like that would go on. No. Because she did. Like I said, you said before, she was so heavily involved with her kids' lives. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me that she would do anything to endanger them. No, it doesn't. So I'll just give you some theories, which obviously a lot of them are doesn't seem logical, but yeah. there's really no logical theory in this yeah. case. So the first one is that possibly Diane was suffering from auto-brewery syndrome, which I didn't know what that was. Okay. But I looked it up. Apparently it's called it's also called drunkness disease okay and it's the rare condition that makes you intoxicated without drinking alcohol obviously she was drunk yeah but it happens when your body turns sugary and starchy foods into alcohol so initially people mm-hmm. were saying she was eating a lot of like fast food like mcdonald's and yeah. stuff possibly she suffered from that and then drinking on top even if she just took one shot it might have made yeah. it seem like it was a lot more like it was a lot but after the toxicology report it kind of they just I mean, see that she had more yeah i feel like in that report it would come up that 
like somehow there probably would be a distinction between this was starch that turned into alcohol and yeah. just straight alcohol. Like yeah. there's probably some kind of differentiation between two. The other theory, which I feel like is what everybody thinks about, um, mm-hmm. is that she had a fight with Daniel and possibly was drinking because of that. But also she had five kids in the car. It doesn't make any sense. But why would she, if she had a fight with Daniel, why would she start drinking in the car on the way home? She would have already done that prior to, you know what I mean? Yeah. It would have been happening right after the fight in the morning. Yeah. Why would she just do that randomly in the car? I don't know. It was also like the morning, like you said. Who yeah. just starts, who just gets in their car and is like, oh, 11 a.m. and just starts chugging out the Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. Now, I want to believe that this was an accident. However, also, people were also noting that people who are heavy drinkers or, or drug users, they find ways to cope with their addiction and drive safer, if that makes sense. Because they want yeah. to hide their addiction. Yeah. So they actually turn out to be very good drivers. Yes. People who are drunk. Who are, who are people who are, like, chronic drinkers. Yes. Because that becomes their new normal. So mm-hmm. you just get used to driving like that, I mm-hmm. guess. So that kind of would make sense why maybe some people didn't notice leading up to it. Mm-hmm. How she was acting differently. Maybe she just seemed normal. Yeah. Um, And, like, I want to see the good in every situation. But for me, it makes me think that... Diane possibly was driving with a purpose, and this purpose, maybe she was planning to commit suicide and kill her children. I don't really know why. Yeah. I don't want to believe this, but for her to never have another incident like this, and then all of a sudden just get in the car, and it seemed like she had a purpose, she had a motive behind it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I don't know any other theory. Because, to me, if I was in her situation and it's just you randomly started feeling this way. Yeah. When you push, she pulled over to the side of the road twice. Yeah. Why wouldn't you stay pulled over on the side of the road? Why would you continue to even try to That's drive? what I'm saying, yeah. You would immediately call Warren or Daniel and yeah. say, somebody needs to come get me. And I feel like even if you're very drunk, you're still, you can still kind of make a distinction between like, I don't know. I don't feel like you would have no idea that you were driving. You would have no idea for a mile and like one point seven miles. Like yeah, you're literally driving on the highway in the wrong direction. Yeah, you would have no idea. You, like you would realize really that. Yes, yeah, so you would still realize that. Exactly. Unless you're literally blacked out, which at that point you're not even driving. <laughs> exactly. So I don't even know what to like categorize this. Like, what do you think happened? That's all my theories that I have. It, it kills me to say that this was like a homicide and suicide, like on purpose. Yeah. But like, I just don't know what else to think. I, that's the one that makes this most sense, but it's the one that obviously you wouldn't want to believe. Yeah. And because also, she now seems that... Normal. Yeah, she seemed... Leading up to this, she seemed so normal. And yeah. I don't want to, like... Like, what if this actually was, like, a psychotic break or something? I don't want to completely tarnish her name. But I just yes. don't know what else it could be. But then it's also, you know, where did that break come from? Yeah. But then that's what I'm saying. There might be stuff happening behind the scenes that Daniel, possibly Warren and Jackie, but more likely Daniel, mm-hmm. like, haven't said about. Like, but also, I'm interested to hear from... I, has the one that survived ever said what was Brian. happening in the lead up to it? Brian, he literally has stuck... Well, he's also still a kid. Yeah, he's like, still a kid. But no, he hasn't changed his story. All he said was, Di- um, not Diane, but mommy's head hurt mm-hmm. and she couldn't see straight. Yeah. That's literally it. Like, he hasn't said anything. Like, she was smoking, she was drinking. Like, he never indicated that. Yeah. And I feel like even though he was young, he maybe would say something. Yeah, five, you would, like, comprehend. Recognize like, that's what she's doing. And it's, I'm interested to see, like, as, I mean, at this point, he's, if this happened in 2009, he was already five, well, he's getting older now, so I'm yeah. interested to see as he gets older and becomes, like, an adult adult, Yeah. like, what, if he says anything new or does any interviews like that. Definitely. If you guys have any theories that you strongly believe, please let us know, because this case has frustrated me, it's kept me up at night, because none of it makes sense. Yeah, there's zero logical explanation to this one, so I'd be really interested in getting to the bottom of this one. Hey queens, welcome back to the second half of this week's episode. In this week's episode, I'm going to be talking about the death of one of the most influential artists of the 20th century, Vincent van Gogh. 
Now, it is historically accepted that he died by suicide. However, many theorists believe that he was murdered instead. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, before I get into what some theorize, I'm going to, like I always do when a theory is based around a real event or person, talk about the historically accepted course of events. Okay. Now, Vincent van Gogh, who, just to touch a little bit on his childhood, um, he was born in the Netherlands. His father died, I believe it was two months before he was born, and he just was seemed to be even from childhood had a very lived a very isolated life in his school people would describe him as being serious and cold and his mother wasn't very known to give him a lot of affection so he was just definitely a very isolated person now this also ties into uh, he had a lot of mental health issues throughout his entire life I'll get into specifically what he was diagnosed with later on, but he definitely suffered with hallucinations and depression throughout his entire life. Is he the one who cut his ear off, or am I thinking about someone else? Yes. Okay. Yes, I'll get into that a little bit, too. But he is the one that cut his ear off, yes. Okay. Now, Vincent van Gogh died on July 29th, 1890, by suicide due to two shots to the chest. Now, two days prior to his actual death, van Gogh shot himself in the chest with a revolver in a field in... Keep in mind, this is French, so if it's pronounced wrong, you know. <laughs> but it was a field in Auvers-Cherwaz, <laughs> just an hour north of Paris. Okay. Okay? Before arriving there, Van Gogh had been suffering through some of the worst periods for his mental health in his life. Now, like I said, from a young age, he suffered through severe manic depression, is what he was diagnosed with. And he had been in asylums often up until his death. His greatest supporter, his brother Theo had been financially supporting him, including his fees for asylum. And their hundreds of letters is where historians have been able to see the inner thoughts of Van Gogh the most. His brother's older or younger? Younger. Okay. Now, they were, they had a very, very close relationship. I mean, Van Gogh was basically dependent on him, but it was mutual. It wasn't like Van Gogh just used him. Now, before going into his final trips to his asylum is when he famously cut off his left earlobe after a fight with an artist he was living with at the time, named Paul Gauguin. Now, Van Gogh had no recollection of this incident after it happened, indicating that it was a psychotic break. Also, a fact that I did not know, his most famous painting, A Starry Night, was actually his view from the window of his room in the asylum that he Mm -hmm. was in before his death. So, once he was in... Oviers, Van Gogh, although still speaking about his loneliness and was avidly drinking too much, was actually for the first time finding some artistic success. Because, like I said before, I said 20th century most influential artist, even though he was around in the 1800s, because his work did not become popular until after his death. That's like most people, they're, after they die, they become more famous, 100%. especially if they're young. And especially because the incidents behind his death and the just if it was, it was ruled a suicide at the time, that kind of death made people more interested in seeing his work. Now, although he is now considered one of the best ever, like I said, his paintings not just weren't financially successful, were often not well received then. Mm-hmm. Now, after he left the asylum, is he went to an inn in okay. So the the asylum was in Overs, and he went down there for after he okay. came out of the asylum. I'm sorry, how old was he when he died? I don't know if you said that. He was 37 okay. when he died, so very young. That's now, very young. Yes, definitely. Now, the accounts from that day are most recounted by the innkeeper and innkeeper daughter that were the last to see him at the inn that he was staying in at the time. 
And they last saw him after leaving from breakfast that morning. They became concerned after the long period of time before he returned because he normally would just go out, do his art, and then come right back. Now, he finally did come back around nine o'clock. After looking seriously ill and holding his stomach on the way to bed, they checked up on him in his room where he admitted that he attempted suicide. Hmm. Well, he didn't say attempted suicide, but basically that he harmed himself. Yeah. Now, after How? Not- what did he say he did? He shot himself. Okay. Oh, in his stomach? In his chest. Oh, in his chest. But he was, like, leaned over holding his stomach on the way out. Okay. Now, after not being able to get a hold of a physician until the following day, because remember, this is the 1800s, so you can't just call the doctor or go to the emergency room, he was basically deemed a lost cause once the doctor was able to attend to him. Is shooting yourself in the chest common? Well, no, so we'll get to that. Like, it's your head. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Keep that in mind. Okay. Because that's an important point for the theory. Now... On the following day, after the physician was able to see him, he was quoted saying, quote, My body is mine, and I am free to do what I want with it. Do not accuse anybody. It is that it is I that wish to commit suicide. So basically, it was not a murder. Like, yeah. just know that now. His brother, Theo, was able to travel to be at his side before he passed away. Now, unfortunately, Theo never really recovered from his brother's death, and he died only six months after Van Gogh did. How? Suicide? No, of just... just- basically a broken heart yeah no that makes sense stress kills more than anything 100 percent. and like depression people i don't know you can actually die from that yeah i mean just from the the health consequences from it like a lot of the times if you're like an older widow and you're somebody dies then most of the time they die right after Mm -hmm. honestly and it's just from being that upset about it yeah now the idea that van gogh may have been murdered rather than committed suicide is a rather new theory but also a controversial one it derives most from a book titled Van Gogh, The Life by Stephen Knifey and Gregory White Smith, which was published in 2011. Now, although at first glance, Van Gogh's death truly does appear to clearly be a suicide, some of the points raised in the book and by experts since do raise a lot of questions. And although the viewpoint that it was a murder is definitely controversial, the two authors did conduct over a decade of research to write their biography, so it is credible and worth looking into yeah like they really went into it exactly they went to forensic experts Mm -hmm. eyewitness reports police reports from the time so it's definitely credible and worth a second look at now the first indication that something was awry is the positive disposition that van gogh seemed to have before his death now of course you have to remember he did have manic depression so it could just come suddenly but he was seemingly very positive and looking towards the future before he died and also take it from uh, Diane's case, how people yes. are on the outside isn't always necessarily... Exactly. Like, you can really fool people. Exactly. Now, his paintings completed at the time were some of his most vibrant and expansive yet, and he was more productive than ever, completing nearly 70 paintings during his time there. Hmm. Now, this may be accredited to his new environment, as it did appear that his surroundings were often the major influence for the subjects and tone of his work. So, the productivity doesn't necessarily reflect his health, it could just, every time he went to a new place, there seemed to be a rise in productivity. Yeah. Now, however, he was also outwardly in good spirits. He wrote in a letter to his brother soon before his death that he loves art and life, and in an unsent letter to another artist, spoke about future pieces that he was planning to create. Hmm. So, he was actively planning yeah. for the future. Now, another thing that jumped out to the author is the distance between where it is believed that Van Gogh shot himself and the inn as there was at least a mile between the two. 
It's hard to imagine that after sustaining an ultimately life-ending injury like Vincent did, that he was able to, on his own, walk all the way back to the inn. Wait, so you said that he did go out to the field, right? Yes. So, was he planning on killing himself and just dying out there? Why would he come back? I, I think what... I mean, if you just think basic theory was that he was just trying to commit suicide and he just didn't die. And then he just... <laughs> when he shot himself twice. And it, he lived for t- almost two days yeah. afterwards, so he couldn't have just laid in that field like that for two days. So... That's what, if you just think the suicide theory, what would have happened. But it's hard to believe that you would shoot yourself twice in the chest and stomach area and literally be able to walk yourself back a mile. Yeah, miles a lot. It's not like you're just got to walk across the street to get back to your house. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a long trek to be that injured to be able to get back to. Now, the gunshot wound itself is also very suspicious. When there is a suicide, the angle of the gunshot is normally straight on. However, the angle that was used was an oblique angle, which does not make it appear that the gun would have been in, does make it appear that the gun would be in someone else's hands. So wait, you meant he got shot here? No, he got some shot straight on to the stomach. Okay. But, or, yeah, the the stomach and the chest. So there's two shots. And, but it wasn't just like straight against him. Oh, because it was people, at an angle. Ah, oh, makes sense. So when people commit suicide, they just hold They're it They're just holding it against okay. you. So it doesn't really make sense that it would be at an angle and not straight on. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to yeah. me. Now, it is also an odd location for a gunshot wound by suicide, like you said. If someone is wholeheartedly trying to die, it is more often than not a headshot wound. So it doesn't make... Why would you... It's weird uh, location. I mean, I guess it does make sense, but there's such a high chance of you surviving that that it does seem weird. Now, if someone... Also, no one knew where Van Gogh had gotten the gun from. There was no indication that he brought it with him from the inn. Oh. Because the innkeeper and the daughter did not know where he would have got it from, and there was no indication that he would have had one prior to. Hmm. I didn't didn't even think of that. Exactly. And there was no initial report of what happened to all the art supplies he would have brought with him from the inn. Because he would have... That's what he did. He left to go paint and then would come back. So no one knows what happened to all of those art supplies. Oh, he didn't come back with them? No. Okay. So that's odd. So he didn't leave with the gun. He didn't come back with the art stuff. Hmm. Now, in 2019, a gun... Wait, sorry, side note. I just yeah. thought of this. He didn't come back with the gun either? Or did he? Well, he did not come back from the gun with the gun. But, so, in 2019, a gun was auctioned off that is highly believed to have been the one that killed Van Gogh. Okay. Now, when it was found, it was said to have been in the ground since the 1890s. Where so he it was himself? left, yes, it was left in the field. And it was the same caliber gun as the bullets that he ended up hitting him. Okay. Now, however, no matter how confident they are, they cannot obviously say definitively that it's 100% the same gun. They just strongly believe it is. But there's no way to for sure prove it. Okay. Another it happened so long ago? Exactly. Now, another aspect of the gunshot wound puts the suicide belief into question. When his wound was initially described, it was said to have had a brown and purple halo around it. At that time, this made people believe that the wound was clearly shot at a very close range. The brown part of the halo was said to be powder burns from the gun being directly against his chest. However, it has since been said that the brownish ring is one that is commonly seen at wounds at its entrance, and it does not indicate the distance of the gun. Also, the purple ring is damaged to his veins, and it is seen often in wounds where people live a while after they are shot. So again, that doesn't necessarily determine that it was at close range. Also, the gunshot wound appears to indicate, at least according to the specialist that was used for the book that the two wrote, who is credible, that there is a lack of soot, powder, tattooing, and searing of the the skin. 
this wound indicates that the gun would have been at least one, but most likely two feet away from Van Gogh. Hmm, interesting. Which, the already awkward hand position that would have been having to done just by holding the gun against your stomach yeah. like that, having it that distance away, it seems very unlikely. Yeah. Now, the last thing that people question is the credibility of some of the people that initially would have been spreading the story around that it was a suicide. Some people question the credibility of the innkeeper's daughter, as her story has been inconsistent, and she did not even officially go on record until 1953. Oh, wow, it's so late. It's way after the events happened. So it's... How old is she? At the time of the incident, she would have been very young. I believe it was, like, teenager age. Okay. But still, that's such a long time to not go on the record at all. And also, you were saying, this is, like, random, but the mm-hmm. with the gun, so... They found it in the field that he shot himself yes. not that long ago. Yes, because it was auctioned off in 2019, so my assumption is it was only found a couple of years prior. That's to. crazy to me, because wouldn't that be the first place that they looked for it? Absolutely. They would find it right away, I mm-hmm. feel. So I... And also, even if they didn't know for sure that's the location where he shot himself, you would still know, like, that's where he that's usually goes every day, so why wouldn't we go check there? Yeah. But again, if the inn and the innkeeper's... Innkeeper and the innkeeper's daughter took so long to go on record, maybe they just wouldn't have had that information at hand. Yeah. Also, Paul Gatchett Jr., the son of the doctor that often treated Van Gogh, who was only 17 at the time of Van Gogh's death, often exaggerated stories and his closeness to Van Gogh in what appeared to be an attempt to gain status. Family of Van Gogh have openly spoken against him and deem him as an unreliable source. However, he was the main one spreading the idea that, well, not the idea, but just saying he committed suicide. Okay. Now, what about the innkeeper, the guy? Well, he, his daughter is the one that has gone the most on record. He obviously cooperated with authorities because he did have statements about, you know, he was the one that said he he last saw him in the morning at breakfast and that kind of stuff. So his stories line up for the most part with the girls. But since the daughters come out in 1953, that's when there's been inconsistencies. Okay. Now, if Van Gogh did not commit suicide, who killed him? (laughs) There is actually a person that was pinpointed as the killer. His name is, again, French, so bear with me. <laughs> René Secreton. Okay. Who would have been 16, year olds, 16 years old at the time of Van Gogh's death. And whose, his family visited the, in France for the summer annually. Okay. So he, he didn't live where Van Gogh was. He just came for summer visits. Okay, makes sense. Now, certainly not much can be confirmed about their prior interactions, Except that they had met prior to the day of Vincent's death. Oh, they, they had met? Yes. Okay. Now, it seems to be a thing that happened anywhere Van Gogh did. He was just kind of labeled the local crazy guy and people kind of picked on him and stuff as wherever he went. Now, some believe that although they may have spoken before and conversed, uh, Rene served as almost a bully to Van Gogh and would pull basically pranks on him. Mm-hmm. Now, when he was in his 80s, Rene... Only months before he died, he claimed that it was possible that Van Gogh had used a gun that he had taken from him, but he himself had already left days before the suicide. Okay. So it's possible that it was his gun that Van Gogh had gotten a hold of, but he's not. He was already gone. However, this is weird timing, as it would have been right in the middle of the summer. So he came annually for summer visits, but he left in the middle of July. I didn't think of that, yeah. That's odd. Now, some reports from the town right after Van Gogh's death, which obviously this is solely gossip, so again, has to be taken with a grain of salt, was that some boys had accidentally shot Van Gogh. That was the word on the town, like, right after it happened. 
Now, this would mean that Vincent would have been lying to people when he claimed to have committed suicide, because remember, he openly said that. Yeah. This would mean that he claimed this in order to protect the boys, or just Renee, maybe. Oh, because they were so young? Yes, they were young. It is believed, the theory even presented in the book is that it's not like Renee shot him out of malicious intent. It would have been accidental. Okay. Like, they were just messing around, and, I mean, could have been picking on him or something like that. It wouldn't have been that he intentionally shot him. Now... I read somewhere, this is pretty sad, but I read somewhere basically that Van Gogh, although he might not have been actively looking for death, he may have taken the opportunity when it arised, basically. And so that's why he just it let it claimed happen. it for himself and said, yeah, yeah. I, I killed myself, that's what's happening. So even if he wasn't actively looking for it, he still might have claimed it was suicide, even if it wasn't. Now... Also, the word suicide was avoided a lot in initial reporting and accounts of his death with the phrase wounded himself often being what was said. So some people thought maybe that was weird phrasing because nobody was willing to say, oh, this was definitely a suicide because people were suspicious it wasn't. However, this may have been for religious purposes as suicide would have been widely considered a sin at the time. And in the end, Van Gogh was actually not even able to have a proper funeral at a church because he was deemed a suicide and that was considered a sin. So they wouldn't even hold a funeral in a church. That's so sad. Yeah. And it's also sad, too, because his father was a minister, and he himself wanted to, uh, like, in his early life, was actually actively trying to become a minister. Mm -hmm. So it's sad that in the end, like, the religion that he followed for such a long time wasn't able to be there for him in the end. So, yeah, that's basically the theories behind it. Hmm. So you don't think that it could have been, like, a murder with malicious intent at all? I don't think it was a murder with malicious intent, because it didn't seem like there was anyone in particular that would have had motive to kill him, especially because he was just new in the area. He was just there to paint. It's not like he lived there and would have been able to piss someone off while (laughs) he was there, basically. Yeah. I mean, he was an aggressive person, so I guess he could have just pissed the wrong person off. Mm -hmm. But to me, I don't think anybody, like, actively was like, I want to kill Van Gogh. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally... I was thinking it could have been, like, well, before you told me anything... Mm -hmm. Like, rivals in terms of art and stuff. But you said he wasn't until after. Yeah, I mean, he was becoming more popular at that time, but it wasn't to the point of, oh, I need to knock off, like, the top guy. Yeah. So, I personally think that right now I would still say that it's a suicide. However... I, th- I think it's just because the case against Renee isn't super, super strong. Mm-hmm. I think that if someone were to come out with a better against, a better case either against Renee or someone else, I think I would very easily lean towards Be that swayed. it was a murder because just the, mostly because of the gunshot wounds. It's just such odd angles. It is it's odd. such weird. Like, why are you shooting your stomach? Like, that's so, so weird to me. Mm-hmm. So right now, I would say there's not enough evidence to prove that it's not a suicide. Yeah, and you said the distance, too. It seemed like yes. he was taken from, like, two feet away, which yeah. you can't do with your own which, hand, really. Exactly. And, uh, like, he's already would have trouble. I read, like, the positioning of his hand. Yeah. It was so awkward that you would be doing it like that. Yeah. And the fact that it wasn't at his head, like... So I think there I would be easily swayed to the other side with some more evidence. So if you feel strongly one way or the other... Yeah, or if you have any other suspects or whatever. Yeah, 100%. If you yeah. read up on somebody else that's not Renee, 100% let us know because I'd be interested to hear it. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Tune in every Friday for more Mystery and Madness. Bye, queens. <laughs>